0: Dot com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello,
1: Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union Podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week we'll be talking Almeida, Dirty Harry, Schmetzer, Tati. Uh, da Vinci, Cheeseburgers, Kane, Cristiano, Stefan, UCL, CCL, Paralympic, World Cup, and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossi, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, April 18th in the year 2022?
2: Uh, doing well. A rare afternoon taping yeah. in the State of the Union podcast. Are
1: you going to be okay? I mean, this is going to be okay for you, right?
2: It's an adjustment for sure.
1: It is, it is an adjustment. I have more notes than I usually have. and have a little time to wake up and actually prepare <laughs> for this show. Uh, what did you watch this week, my friend?
2: Well, I had a fun last Thursday night. Ooh! I'm going to make LA Lakers fans very jealous right now because I attended a premiere for the new Magic Johnson Apple TV documentary. Uh, It's a four-part documentary. The first episode aired. It was terrific. I can't wait to watch the next three episodes. But the coolest thing about it is that for the hour or so before the showing started, everybody was milling around. It was at this theater in Westwood, and everybody was milling around in the lobby, and there were all these celebrities there. So the following people were all within a few feet of me at some point in the evening. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jerry West, Michael Cooper, Jamal Wilkes, A.C. Green, Kurt Rambis, uh, Derek Fisher, Gary Payton, Dave Winfield, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Don Cheadle, Samuel L. Jackson, David Arquette, Stephen A. Smith. It was incredible. Damn.
1: Wow. And how'd you score an invite to this?
2: Uh, I went with my buddy, uh, Dan Houtman, who somehow was able to obtain tickets. He He's the CEO of a corporate housing firm that works with a lot of sports leagues. So I think he perhaps has some connections that way um so yeah i guess so this, a is, funny th- thing. this is this is
1: going to be on apple plus you said correct uh and did they show all four episodes or just the one just the first just the first so you got ahead of time to see the first um is it like every week that's coming out or how does it i'm not like that? sure how
2: they're releasing it. Is the but-
1: first one out like can i go watch it on apple plus you know i won't because it's not all done but if i wanted to
2: April 22nd. Okay. Is that what Luis is indicating? And you know, I'm watching that winning time show right now. So right. I've had right. LA Lakers on the brain anyway. So this is a nice companion piece of that. This is the factual account of what happened while winning time is a bit more of a fictional. account.
1: I, I feel there was like a 30-30 for that too. But anyway, it might have been might have been something else. Um, so what period does it cover in the first uh, part of it? This, is, this goes through obviously his entire life and career.
2: Yeah, but the, the first episode I watched was his childhood, Michigan State, and then his rookie season with the Lakers, and it ends right before Game 6 of the 1980 NBA Finals against the Sixers. Kareem got hurt, and so Magic was going to have to step up in that game, which he did. He actually had one of the great performances in NBA history, uh, but we didn't see that yet. That was sort of the cliffhanger that the first episode ends on.
1: Now, where in the Pantheon uh, does, does Magic rate for you, or where, where do you place him there?
2: Oh, top five greatest players of all time. But but, like two or? I think Jordan and LeBron have the one and two spots locked up. But yeah, they do. Okay. After that, Magic, you can hold his hat against anybody. By the way, I then, the following night, Friday night, attended the L.A. Clippers, uh, New Orleans Pelicans play-in game at the Staples Center. I saw the Clippers season come to an unceremonious end. <laughs> Former L.A. Laker Brandon Ingram uh, had a fantastic performance. So a couple of nights of...
1: Um, you are a man about town, my friend. Oh, my goodness. Now, uh, when you go to one of these things, what's your, what's your dress? What, I mean, do you dress up? Do you...
2: In, for the premiere, the invitation said, wear what you would wear to a nice dinner... Which clearly, these people don't know my lifestyle <laughs> because that would still be a hooded sweatshirt and a hat. Right. But I did put on. I wore something similar to what I wore when we did our World Cup shows. Remember Got that it. we were so shocked by that yeah. look with right. the button down and right. the khakis and all that.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, it sounds like you had a fun, uh, fun week. I, you know, I wasn't hobnobbing with anybody. Uh, I did not have a particularly interesting or, or exciting week relative to you. Um, I did watch a few things though. So I got a couple of things here for, uh, for folks, uh, one, and I know how much you love art. And I think I, there was, there was an art documentary that I recommended a long time ago. I think that you ended up watching. Um, this one is called the lost Leonardo. Okay. All right. Salvador Mondi is the name of the actual picture, uh, or the, uh, the painting for those that know the story it, uh, in 2005 ish sold for under $10,000 and then in 2017 ended up being the most expensive painting ever sold at $450 million because of the fact that it was sold, marketed, uh, toured, um, and validated as a a, a Da Vinci. Um, come to find out that Saudi Arabian uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam was the one that paid that uh 450 million dollar price. But it's just a, it's a fascinating examination into what this painting is, what this painting isn't, and also the behind the scenes and not so behind the scenes of the art industry and Sotheby's and you know all of that kind of intrigue and it, you know there's it it's it's wonderful from a entertainment perspective but it must be just exhausting and disgusting to be part of it
2: I saw that in the theater it was actually the very first uh, movie I saw in a theater post-pandemic there you go Um, and yeah I found it fascinating as well that whole authentication process the fact that these things sort of hinge on one person looking at it and saying, well, Leonardo would have never drawn a circle like that. I mean, like that, like I couldn't have had an off day, like (laughs) and and somehow, like if they say it to Leonardo, it goes up in price, like hundreds of millions of dollars, the same painting. It's the whole thing is it's it's
1: <laughs> it, it, it's a scam and it's there's money and just disgust it, anyway, but it's a, it, it's a fascinating documentary. So, uh, and then second, and I, I think I might've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I'm going through the dirty Harry series, the film series, uh, the Clint Eastwood made famous. Uh, it was a film series that was from 1971 ish to 1988, I think. And it's, it's basically got five movies that Clint Eastwood plays this detective, um, in uh, in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area, so there's Dirty Harry, Magnum Force, The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, and Deadpool, and so I've I've gone through those. They all are interesting and unique in their own way, but there is a constant in the, you know, the grittiness, the wonderfully politically incorrect, um, even for the times, uh, way that these were put together, the incredible violence um and the anti-hero that is uh Clint Eastwood's character of uh Dirty Harry and so i i recommend them they are uh like i said very gritty and very 70s even though it went into the uh into the 80s and you can see why it was such a draw for people because unapologetically violent um and disgusting in the in the most beautiful sense but yeah they still uh, they still hold up and hit, and that character um well it's has, has certainly has had plenty of attention uh and, and Clint Eastwood has so many different characters that he has played but that character <laughs> it is an amazing character that uh that he played um anything else Mossy that's it all right uh you ready to like this candle before we do though I want to remind people because I usually do this later on in the show that our uh, State of the Union podcast hotline is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. I say that, you know, over the last year, we've gotten some wonderful calls and, you know, every week we we, we get some, some of them we can't use, uh, some of them just aren't up to it or whatever, but um, I wanted to let you know ahead of time that that is the number because usually I kind of bury it later on in the uh, in the show. All right, you ready to like the scandal? Let's do it. All right, where do you want to start?
2: Another busy weekend in MLS.
1: Okay, let's do that.
2: We're going to touch on CCL in a minute, but we're going to start with NYCFC, who now that their CCL campaign is over, they can focus exclusively on MLS, and they promptly hammered Real Salt Lake 6-0, Tati Castellanos with four goals, Thiago Andrade got the other two. I know it's only one game, but this did have the feeling of the champs kind of sending a message that, hey, our slow start was all about CCL. And now we're ready to get down to business as far as MLS is concerned.
1: what? I mean, was it really that they were now unburdened with this CCL run that evidently takes such a incredibly uh, emotional and physical toll on a on a team that they can't even score goals or do anything? I mean, look, it was it was a great win. It was one of those where everything they touched turned to gold. Tati Castellanos, in the course of ninety minutes, uh, jumped up into the leaders' uh, leaderboard of, uh, goal scorers with the, with those four goals. It does bring up the thing that I often talk about when we do the MVP, where I would rather have those four goals spread out over a game. Like, the fact that he f- scored four goals here, great, but it was 6-0, nothing. right? So he's got to continue to score goals on consistent basis for uh, Jordan goals. But uh, a great result from an uh, NYCFC perspective. I don't necessarily think this this shows that NYCFC is is back but I don't I didn't think that they were necessarily gone anywhere so and once again it was in the confines of uh Yankee Stadium which they have grown accustomed to playing at uh but even though they were playing over uh, their champion uh, their CONCACAF Champions League up in Connecticut and over in uh, New Jersey um all right anything else about that game
2: no but you sort of bristled at this notion yeah. that uh being involved in CCL it- will hamper your MLS form. Seattle, the team that advanced in CCL this past week, they lose at home to Inter Miami, heavily rotated squad. And yeah, we talked to Brian Smetzer before the game, and he too sort of bristles at this suggestion that you can't compete on multiple fronts. But there does seem to be years of empirical evidence now that if you take CCL seriously, there is a trade-off there. You're going to get off to a slow start in your MLS campaign. And so Seattle put out the lineup they did, played the way they did. They lose a game at home in Inter Miami that I don't think they would have ever lost had they played all their guys from the start. So to me, there is a trade off there. Uh, I'm not worried about Seattle at all. They'll, they'll be wrapped up with TCL in a couple of weeks and then they'll turn their attention exclusively to MLS. And there's still plenty of time for them to take off. And I have no doubt they'll be one of, if not the favorite to win MLS Cup going into the playoffs. But I, I, I know Brian Smetzer doesn't agree with this premise, but I do think they essentially had to make a choice here. And so they, they, chose to go all in on CCL. And uh, I mean, that's the price you pay.
1: I, I guess. And look, to your point, we did, we talked with Brian Schmetzer and he, he said, this is what we're going to do. And what did they do? They made 10 changes. Now, keep in mind, their CCL final, home and away, doesn't start for another, what, 10 days? Uh, and the home game that they're going to play is up for another 18 games, 18 days or something like that. So, th- they, they have plenty of time. So, the thinking with this massive change in terms of the lineup against Inter-Miami, that it it makes me scratch my head and it rubs me a little wrong that 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 was the decision. And and to your point, Brian Schmetzer came out and was... uh, By the way, I love Brian Schmetzer. Talking to him is a joy because he says what's on his mind. uh, He's very, very clear. And he gives us plenty of content. But he made a point of saying... There's no excuses for this team. When we talk about Seattle, we are fighting on multiple fronts, but there's no excuses. You guys are professionals. You get uh, do your job. But then he went out and he played, as I said, ten changes and what amounted to an absolute B team when it comes to Seattle. And I said on air, and I will repeat it: I thought that he cheated us in that moment. I thought that Seattle cheated us. When I say us, I mean. We were broadcasting on a Saturday night on national television broadcasting Seattle into Miami, and Seattle decided in that moment not to give us not, not just to give us a um, a less than 100 percent Seattle team, a completely different team. And I, I, don't, I don't understand why that is acceptable. I do understand about. You you know you lose the battle you win the war and do not doing things that are going to uh, are, that are going to hurt you but you know however many thousands of people they paid their money and they came out to the stadium and they came out to see the Seattle Sounders it's like going to see a band that has a bunch of hits and they don't play any of them can you do it yeah I guess you can do it but you should have to explain why you are doing that. I mean, and if I'm a Seattle Sounders fan, and there's plenty of Seattle Sounders fans that will disagree and say, we understand why it happened and we love the the team. But if I'm a Seattle Sounders fan that paid money on on Saturday to go and see the Seattle Sounders, I didn't see the Seattle Sounders. The Seattle Sounders are the stars. The Seattle Sounders are those names. The Seattle Sounders that we talk about week in and week out as being an elite team in MLS, even though they're not even close to it in the standings, is because of the talent that they have. And in this moment, they not only cheated us, but in a certain way, they disrespected Inter-Miami. And don't get me wrong, Inter-Mi- Inter-Miami is a bad team, okay, sitting at, the, at, at last place. They got their first win last week. But Inter-Miami flies all the, all the way across the country and plays against this elite team that is Seattle. And beats them, and Seattle got, and Brian Schmetzer got exactly what they deserve. You're going to throw out that team against Inter Miami. Well, you deserve to lose. And I think it was, I think it was bad form. Garth Lagerway, the president, uh, I guess he's the president at this point, but certainly the GM and the mastermind behind this incredible team was on the field beforehand, and we're going to talk about CCL later on in the show, talking about how important this CCL matchup is to the legacy and the history um, uh, and the success of this club. Well, maybe he also should have answered why they were about to see not even close to the actual Seattle Sounders team play a game against Inter-Miami.
2: It, get, it got me a little riled up. I don't, I don't mind uh, telling I, I can tell, yeah. yeah How about Inter-Miami? As you mentioned, two wins in a row without Gonzalo Higuain. Uh, we spoke to Phil Neville before this one. He made some interesting comments about the whole Higuain situation. What's your read on it? I think
1: that, uh, that Phil Neville recognized that even though he's been given a long leash, this, this was a moment, and when I say this, I mean the last couple of weeks, this was a moment where if he was going to go down, he was going to go down fighting. He was going to go down making sure that he had the team that he wanted and he wasn't going to pull any punches. And he was very, very clear about the way he was viewing uh, Gonzalo Higuain. And he talked about how Listen, either we leave him behind, or he catches up. He talked about how the way that his team played, in terms of the belief and the spirit, was something that wasn't on display when Iguain was on uh, on the field, and that his players and his team they can't go on the field questioning whether he's going to fight for them, whether he's going to run for them. And so I I actually love the fact that Inter Miami came in and without Gonzalo Higuain was able to get this win against Seattle on the road, and you saw how much it meant to them. And they did weather the storm and kind of batten down the hatches for, for much of the game, especially in the second half when uh, Seattle put in a couple of their, uh, couple of their stars. But this is, a, this is a huge win. Now we'll see if they're able to kick on. And more importantly, it puts incredible pressure on Higuain to come in when he comes back in and, and make sure that he has impact
2: uh, nice win for Toronto. They hand Philadelphia their first defeat, 2-1. Uh, to one. Uh, The Spaniards got the goals, Jimenez and Pozuelo. Carranza found the back of the net for the Union. Uh, so Bob Bradley, uh, three wins and a draw in their last four. He's got Toronto moving in the right direction there. I mean, he's Bob Bradley.
1: He understands the league. I think he understood crystal clear what what Toronto was, what they are, and and maybe more importantly, what they aren't. And we no longer have any undefeated teams in Major League Soccer. This league that is built on manufactured parity plays out again where Philadelphia goes in there and Toronto gets a win. So big win for Toronto. Bob Bradley seems to have them heading uh, heading in the right direction. And Philadelphia still is going to be very, very good. And they were actually up 1-0 and Toronto came back and won 2-1. So big result.
2: A crazy game between D.C. United and Austin. An eventful day for Ola Kamara. He scores twice in the first half, but then gets himself sent off. So D.C. had to play the whole second half down a man. Uh, They seem to be in pretty good shape. They got to the 80th minute, still up 2-0. But then a barrage of late Austin goals. Uh, They take it 3-2. They're off to a terrific start. Uh, What a crazy game, huh? Nuts. Uh, and, you know, hats
1: off to Josh Wolf and Austin. And, and again, this is all early days, but this is all we have to go on right now. And Austin sitting in second place in the West at 14 points. And I think if they look back at this D.C. game, it doesn't matter how, how good you are. You're going to need moments where the soccer gods smile smile upon you. And they did. Having said that, you know, I think that, that this D.C. team has to really look at themselves and and recognize that this was one that got away was it easy no and especially after the red card but it was still there for the taking and ultimately they didn't have enough at the end but uh, big yeah big win for austin
2: are you uh this uh jordy mihailovich mania are you on this page uh, montreal beat vancouver two to one another terrific performance for mihailovich lots of calls for him to be uh brought into the u.s national team fold what do you make of that well
1: first off it's not as if he's not part of the national team. He has been to plenty of camps. He has been involved in Greg Berhalter's setup in the past. Uh, is he a, a regular? No. Is he a starter? Absolutely not. And that's where it gets into. I, I think he's, he's, he's playing really, really well, and he's a good player. He was a good player even before he went to Montreal, but now he's blossoming. And even early days, it, people are talking about MVP type of season. And having said that, where does he play? And who does he play over when the uh, national team is together in terms of the position that he plays, the type of player that he plays? I I mean, I don't think that they are who who, he's certainly not in that number nine position, right, which we know is wide open and vacant right right now. But so that's the that's his problem is not that that he's good. It's that is he better than anybody that we have?
2: The U.S. had a do-or-die game tomorrow, and you had to start either Mihailovic or Sebastian Laget. Who would you start?
1: Laget. I mean, he has much more experience. I think he's much more comfortable with the Greg Berhalter team. And look, and he, it's it's not like it's not that that Mihailovic isn't isn't good. I also think the time for change and experimentation. I mean it's it's going to be few and far between any types of players that again it's different for the number nine position and we'll talk more about the goalkeeping situation later but um when it comes i think this team is if not fully formed pretty close so it just might be that he's won for 2026
2: uh much needed win for new england they beat charlotte two to one buxa among the goal scorers Polster got the other one uh Bruce Arena, did I, was he at the uh, Brooklyn yeah. Nets Boston Celtics game? So he yeah. was feeling pretty good about the result. And he, <laughs> I mean, the l- l-
1: players just backed kind of up to him and his wife. They're sitting sitting courtside. He's, yeah. Yeah, you know,
2: he can finally show his face in public after. A <laughs> <laughs> By the way, what an incredible game that was! Not to take us back to NBA basketball, but um, one game that Luis Aguilar inexplicably did not include in the rundown. Uh, LaFC beat Sporting KC three to one. Uh, so I, I mentioned the Austin win that had temporarily put them in first place in the West, but LAFC regained the top spot with that victory. Sporting KC have dropped six of their eight games. What's going on there? It's Peter Vermes. And- I mean,
1: Peter Vermes is having that year that Peter Vermes would be the first person to tell you is inevitable if you are there for, for as long as he has been. It's not something to be proud of. It's not something that you can necessarily uh, predict, but he's got to find a way to dig out of it. And he, I mean, they're not changing anything. They're not going. You know, at Peter Vermes has probably the longest leash of anybody out there, and this isn't a Matias Almeida situation, which I don't know what we'll talk about. But this, this is this is not good. It's just one of those things where nothing is working.
2: It reminds me almost of uh, Diego Simeone at Atlético Madrid. You know, the amount of currency he has there. I mean, it's become an institution. So you know, it, he's going to be given every chance to yeah. Peter Vermes to fix this. Uh, you mentioned Almeida. We might as well do that next. Okay. So San Jose, Nashville, 2-2. Uh, that result spelled the end for Matias Almeida. Uh, they made the playoffs in only one of the previous three seasons, and they're off to a terrible start. This season, the league's only winless team, just three points from their first seven games. So Almeida bites the dust. That was confirmed today. With the reports yesterday, we we talked about it in the air and became official official today. Uh, your thoughts?
1: I, I was reading... Uh... Uh, a quote from Pep Guardiola the other day where he talked about the reality of coaching in that, yes, there are qualities that can make you as a coach valuable in making individuals and collectively a team be better. But he also very, I think, graphically illustrated the reality of there's only so much that you can do. And even I think he put himself in position of, if I had this X middle of the road type of team, you know, we would get relegated. And I, I, think, I think his point there w- was a valid point. Matias Almeida was brought in because of his pedigree, because of his success, and in the same way that, that teams bring in huge players that they think are fundamentally going to change them, that's what Matias Almeida was brought in to do. Now, on the other side of the field, it's not that they didn't spend money or they didn't bring in players. As a matter of fact, they, they did. Certainly not relative to your high spenders in the league, but you need to look only at uh, you know, Philadelphia or something. So it, it, it's not all about money. It's about the, the specific players that you, uh, that you bring in. But he was there to do something different. In that sense, I will defend him because he absolutely did something different in the philosophy and the identity and the style of play that, uh, that he brought in. He is a romantic. He is a true believer in the way that he wanted to play, especially with that man marking system. That is, when it's good, it's good. But when it's bad, it's very bad. And there is absolutely no in between. And all it takes is for one mess up and it's a domino type, uh, type of effect. However, and, and I'll repeat this in this day and age where we see so many teams and so many coaches uh, and so many technical directors talk about identity and talk about philosophy and talk about ethos and style of play the reality is that 99% of them it's a bunch of bullshit okay n- n- most of them just like to talk about that but they they talk but they don't walk it he came in said this is how we're playing it's my way or the highway and you can either adapt or you can go someplace else and even when it doesn't go well we're going to go right back to that well and continue on. And in that sense, I can, I can respect and applaud him. Now, he is also in the results business. And if you decide to play this way, fair enough, you get my respect uh, for actually living up to the things that you're talking about. But it's, you still have to get results. And he wasn't able to, able to do that. And especially trying to do something like that in a league like major league soccer i think it's it's not impossible but it's very very difficult and it's few and far between the the style of play um that has been promised has been lived up to in major league soccer you can look back you know like uh, patrick vieira actually i think he did a good job in nycfc of saying this is how we're going to play and this is what we are uh what we are going to do i think bob bradley at times and certainly during that year with uh with lafc but there is always kind of an adjustment, and Matias Almeida. He said, "We're gonna, I'm gonna die on this hill." Well, <laughs> this is this is what you get. Don't cry for him because I think he still is going to be sought after, and there's already talk that uh, um, that he's that he might have something in uh, something in place. But this is also an opportunity for the San Jose Earthquakes. So, you know, I talked about Brian Schmetzer cheating the Seattle faithful in that moment. They haven't cheated the faithful over collective and over time, as opposed to the San Jose Earthquakes that haven't been good now for a long time. And the San Jose Earthquakes fans, they deserve better. And we'll see if this is that moment when they go out there and they get someone who understands the league, I guess is much more pragmatic about what can and can't be done. And, and most importantly, comes in and is able to motivate the players uh, that they have. But that it took this long is certainly surprising. And, uh, you know, I wish Mateus Salmeida well because it, at the very least, I will remember him for the style that he wanted to play.
2: Yeah, I mentioned it was 2-2 against Nashville. Ibobasi scored yeah. twice and Mukhtar. Uh, Ibobasi off to a good start this season. So whoever goes in there, if they can fix the defense, you'll at least have somebody at the other end who has been scoring goals. Sort what a
1: great uh, set-piece goal too, Ibobasi. And have you seen that there's players now uh, that are wearing these neck things? Ibobasi was wearing one, I think, Omar Gonzalez, I think, uh, saw the other day. I think are called uh, Q-Brace or something like that. Evidently, they're, they're designed to help in terms of the data and the information and the protection of uh, concussions. And I know C's had a concussion in the past and stuff like that. So I'll get some more information on it. But I was, I was curious because I'm starting to see more and more of these, uh, these types of things. It, it reminds me of years and years ago, I'll never forget, uh, you know, this is kind of how far we've come. There was a moment when we were, kick- I was playing with the Galaxy at the time and we- our first game was in Columbus to start off whatever season it was. And uh, a company called Full Nighty, which makes the headgear, which are those padded headgear things that you have, had come to me and asked me to wear headgear, um, their Full Nighty headgear in the game. And I was told by the league that I would be fined if I went out there and wore it. We've come a long way now, um, and and listen, this isn't a shot at the league. It's just that's that was the reality of the situation. They didn't know what this was. They were worried about it um, from a, other relationships and partnership standpoints uh, what they had uh, that they had in place. Um, but nowadays, certainly the headgear is there. We have the concussion protocol. We have concussion substitutions, and now evidently we have something uh, that you wear around your neck that uh, protects the players. So I'm all I'm all for that. That's we evolve, we change, we grow.
2: Um, all right, what's next? Uh, Atlanta and Cincinnati played to a scoreless draw. Lots of stuff going on with Atlanta. First, the bad. Brad Guzan. Uh, it looks like he could be out for the season. Yeah. The worry
1: I mean, there's a practical worry from Atlanta because he's their starting goalkeeper, and that's a big loss. He's a leader and he saves the ball. But also, given his age, um, that's, a, that's a hard one to come back for. I remember when Brian Ching did his Achilles, and sometimes there's nobody around. So, wishing him the best, sending him the best if he. If he comes back, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because he's pretty solid physically and uh, mentally, but it also wouldn't surprise me if that's the last we've seen of Brad Guzan. But um, hopefully not. Hopefully we still get some uh, some games. If they're going to they're gonna have to figure it out. So that, that now means their goalkeeper's gone and their striker's gone in Joseph Martinez, who will be back eventually, but he uh, did have surgery.
2: Well, on the goal scorer front, uh, reports that Atlanta are interested in Matthew Hoppe. Who? who's Currently at Mallorca. The tough thing about prying him from Mallorca is that that owner at Mallorca is just a difficult guy to deal with.
1: Legendary in terms of his difficulty uh, in, in dealing with that. That would be uh, Stu Holden. Yes. Ugh,
2: uh, but man. what do you think? Uh, some of these Americans that are in Europe not getting much playing time yeah. and trying to work their way into the World Cup squad, you think a loan move perhaps to MLS uh, yeah, would I mean, be somebody all, that could benefit?
1: It's all about money. Uh, money and I, I get the um, the Bobby Wood Type of vibe of of this whole thing, and um, you know, Bobby Wood was much further along in his in his career. You know, Matthew Hoppe obviously came on our radar, had a had a big moment in the Bundesliga where he was scoring some goals. It was a was a very specific and limited moment, Uh, and then with the national team in the Gold Cup, if I'm not mistaken, last summer really kind of came to the fore. And people not only liked the fact that he took people on and was a, a good player, but also his his attitude. Uh, there was a real Clint, Dem- Clint Dempsey-esque type type of uh, attitude there that appealed to a lot of people, including myself and others. Um, as as far as him coming to Atlanta, if I was Atlanta, this wouldn't fill me with hope or excitement, the Matthew Hoppe possibility, um, because in particular, Atlanta, which has made their name, if you will, off of kind of big money signings. Uh, looking at players that, while we might not know their name, they are headed in the right direction and paying millions of dollars, especially down in South America uh, for players that they hope to uh that they hope to move to move on so this this does not excite me in the in the least. It may or may not happen. I don't know who owns his rights at this point right now, and that's always a consideration here. But if this is Atlanta's big signing going forward, then okay. Doesn't move the needle. For it you. doesn't move the needle for me. But Matthew Hoppe would be a good song. And, and it comes down to money. So, what is Stu Holden going to ask for when it comes to either a loan, whatever that would be, or if there's an actual sale?
2: Well, Stu needs money to fix his car. So there
1: we he go. Might drive
2: a hard bargain.
1: Oh my god! You, you can't do inside jokes on uh, on a podcast here. Our our friend Stu Holden had a <laughs> had a rough uh, rough weekend on our MLS coverage. He drove in to the. Uh, the parking garage here at Fox on our lot. And when I say he drove into the parking garage, he literally drove <laughs> into the parking garage. He had one of those racks on his uh, the top of his car, and he, shall we say, misjudged the calculation. <laughs> and then uh, incredible uh, amounts of uh, uh, of entertainment ensued from there. So he's okay. His car's okay. Eh, maybe not so the uh, the rack on his on his car, but it, it provided us with plenty of laughter in the moment.
2: A uh, couple of news items: uh, The Timbers and the Thorns are going to take the field together for a charity match uh, at Providence Park, mm-hmm. which is aimed at raising money for UNICEF's response to the crisis in Ukraine. That's uh, April twenty seventh. Uh, so a nice. It's little... Great!
1: It's uh, it's wonderful. And I've talked about this before: the the uh, the intersection and the the bringing together of the men's and the women's game. And you know, we've talked so much about what the men's game is, what the women's game is, what, what it isn't, what it should be, all of that kind of stuff. So I think this is going to be, and in particular up there in Portland where the thorns and the timbers are, are, are so much a part of that bigger soccer culture there. I think this is going to be really fun to see. Obviously, it's for, for a good cause, but I think it's really, really fun to see. And I, uh, you know, for example, if the U.S. women's national team and the U.S. men's national team did something like this, I think it'd be really interesting to watch. Also, whatever the rules end up being and the strategy behind it. And we've talked about this before about a co-ed type of national team and in this case a co-ed type of, uh, of of club team where you would use for example, would you want uh would you want your women's team uh or would you want your team to have a woman in goal? Would you use it as a striker, you know, where and the the strategy that's involved. So that'll be fun to see for a number of different reasons. Uh,
2: And then, uh, this is interesting. Uh, We've talked about all these MLS, League MX collaborations. There's gonna be another one here. It's gonna be called the League's Cup Showcase. Mm. Uh, We're gonna have a doubleheader August 3rd at SoFi Stadium. First, the Galaxy are going to play Chivas, which is Chicharito against his former team. And then LAFC will face Club America, which is a rematch of that ill-tempered CCL semifinal <laughs> in 2020. Uh, and I guess this is supposed to be sort of a launching pad for another edition of the League's Cup coming up. So uh, those those games will be fun. Huh? Yeah,
1: the League's Cup will get a bit pushed back. And this will be... And why is this important? Well, I mean, first off, from an LA perspective, it's, it's scrumptious. Um, for the teams that are involved, for the players that are involved, and for the location. And keep in mind, that SoFi is in the running as one of the potential uh, hosts for, uh, as a World Cup venue for 2026, although it, like others, has some, some concerns when it comes to the width of the field. And so I'm, I'm curious to see whether that will be addressed in, in these games, or they're just going to play with it the way it
2: is. Uh, I will make my first visit to SoFi next month for a Paul McCartney concert. Very excited. Really? Yes.
1: Is Are there specific songs that you want to see Paul McCartney play when you go and see Paul McCartney? I mean, obviously, there's some Beatles songs that you want him to play, but he's got it also an incredible catalog from a solo perspective, too.
2: Yeah, I'm more of a fan of his from the Beatles days, so hopefully it's a bit more. I
1: mean, does he, does he pull a Schmetzer and it's all off his new album? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I am excited to see SoFi Stadium because all my friends that have been there rave about it. And yeah, it's getting a lot of buzz yeah. as a potential 2026 final yeah. destination. So,
1: Oh, cool. That'll be, um, uh, that'll be fun. I think I'm going to go see uh, Poison and Motley Crue and Def Leppard, I think. Uh, maybe Joan Jett, if, that, if that's still the uh, case anyway. So uh, hopefully I'll get there at some you, point.
2: Do You know how people like Luis Aguilar get to the top of the profession? How? It's for moments like this. What a segue from this Leagues Cup showcase into the CCL final. He, he planned it out perfectly. Seenless. So we have, for the fifth time, MLS versus League MX in the CCL final. It will be Pumas against Seattle. Uh, just to harken back to the semis, uh, we both got this wrong. We thought it would be Cruz Azul, but Pumas went to the Azteca and were able to grind out a nil-nil. They had won the first, like, 2-1. That, that was a grind. You know, I say they, they were able to grind out a nil-nil. Uh, They scored a goal in the first half of this game. I've seen 20 replays, and I still don't think it was offside, but it got (laughs) chalked off. So it it shouldn't have been as much drama in the end as it it was. And then uh, Seattle uh, went to Red Bull Arena, and the second leg finished 1-1. They had won the first leg 3-1, so they take it 4-2 in aggregate. Uh, Here's what I would say about that. Uh, Seattle, they were absolutely brilliant in that first leg. They frankly should have won by more than the three to one. And then they did a good job in the first half of the second leg of absorbing pressure and scoring a beautiful goal on the counter. So based on what they did for three quarters of that tie, I think they're worthy finalists. But I will say that was an incredible onslaught in the last 45 minutes. If NYCFC had had their finishing boots on or Stefan Fry hadn't stood in his head, they might have been hit, but it turned that around. Oh, my God. It was yeah.
1: incredible. I, I mean, you hit it on the head in terms of Stefan Fry. He had a blinder. He was saving everything. People were blocking shots. And yeah, it was kind of that last half where NYCFC just poured it on. And, and yes, I think they can say they were unlucky. But I also think in totality, the, the better team ultimately advanced. And, and it's not that NYCFC can't be a good team and a, and, and a great team. But right now, If you compare the two, I still think Seattle's better. And so I'm okay with this.
2: So you think MLS has the best possible representative in this final in the Seattle Sounders?
1: I think that it is the Seattle Sounders to lose. I think that they are the favorites overwhelmingly. I think that they have Seattle has more talent. I think they have more experience. I think they have more depth. Uh, They are. Uh, given the advantage of playing away in the first game and home in the second game, and that is an advantage, and they have already played Mexican opposition in this tournament and beaten them in a in two game series, and the they have the opportunity to see a kind of a template in, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if Brian Schmetzer isn't on the phone with Bruce Bruce Arena to see how you go about playing this uh, this team. So I think. It, and, and people are saying, oh, you're going to jinx it. It's going to be a problem. No, this this is the reality, okay? We've talked all through this, uh, through this CCL about the pathways that exist. We've talked from the start of this CCL tournament about how this is it. This is the moment. Everything's lining up. Well, yeah, it is. Everything is lining up and you have the best team ultimately playing in the final against an average uh, Liga MX team. So if... Seattle was to contrive and to lose this, it would be absolutely a failure. Obviously, a disappointment, but it would be a failure.
2: Yeah, the last two finals featuring MLS clubs, uh, I did come away feeling like the MLS team more or less gave it away. Toronto against Matias Almeida led Chivas in 2018, they lost on penalties. And then LAFC against Tigres in 2020, that was in that bubble in Orlando. LAFC. Uh, we're up with 15 minutes left. I was how there. Playing was at Tigres that up to that point and then Tigres scored twice at the end. They take it. So boy, and then, and then also Seattle with that League's Cup final against Leon last year. So that's three finals recently where the MLS team has had it in their hands. And boy, you kind of feel one of these times the ball is going to bounce their way, right? Huh?
1: Well, so when I say that they're the favorite, I know there's people out there to say, well, considering the fact that no MLS team has won it in its, in, its, in its current form, how can an MLS team be the favorite? I mean, just, by the eye test, look at them, okay? And it's and it's not that you know it's not that Pumas isn't a good team, but they're not a they're not a great team. And all of the different things that I that I listed there, I think uh, I think are important. Obviously, that first game away is going to be crucial. And what happens now? Did you tell me that the away goals does not count in the final Correct. Home and away? It's the dumbest thing I've ever. Heard.
2: Anyway, <laughs> so you don't like the fact that it counted in all the previous rounds and doesn't. it's got to be consistent all the way through. Why not?
1: In the, why not? In the, if, if it was just one game, well, then it wouldn't matter anyway. But why in the final that is home and away, why would you take it off? It's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. I don't understand that at all.
2: The other wrinkle is in the previous rounds, if we were level after 180 minutes, we'd go straight to penalties in the final. There would be extra time. So keep that in mind. Um and as you mentioned, uh, first leg is in Mexico City, second leg at Lumen Field. And we talked about how Garth Lagerway was speaking to the fans this weekend. They're trying to drum up excitement for that second leg because they're very concerned at how many Mexicans will be in the stadium for that game. They want it to be a real home field advantage in that second leg.
1: Yeah, I think that they're also, I mean, trying to educate people because, you know, while Seattle is an incredibly educated uh, market and has a credible history, even before Major League Soccer. There, there is still kind of um, the unknowing of what this tournament actually is. And Garth Loggerway on the field basically said, if you buy one ticket, uh, let it be to the second game of this two-game series. Uh, if you buy one Seattle Sounders ticket. And so I, I thought he actually did a really, really good job. It's not easy to get in front of the crowd and, and with the microphone and do all that kind of stuff. But I think he did a really good job of being not just the hype man, but the messenger about making sure that people understand in market how important this is and the opportunity that exists. Because this has been a race to the moon. This has been who is going to plant that flag. And while MLS teams have done it in the past, it was such a different version of this tournament. And so being able to say for someone like Seattle that not only did we win it, but we are champions of CONCACAF. It's it's obviously would be important for Seattle, but it would also be important for Major League Soccer, and we've talked about checking that box. But while that box is going to get checked, everybody wants to be the team that ultimately checks that box, and it's again, it is right in the palm of their hand. And to your point, at times it has also been in the palm of others, and they've let it go. So I think Garth Garth, Garth Lagerway and the Seattle Sounders, they don't, they want to make sure they do everything in their power, and they better get to the media, and I'm sure that they will to make sure that that message is out, that this is a big moment. This is a big moment in Seattle history, not just Seattle Sounders history and Seattle soccer history. This is a big moment in Seattle sports history.
2: On the topic of home field advantage, can we harken back to the semifinals for one second? Sure. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but- Never
1: stopped you before, my friend. Go.
2: This NYCFC stadium situation really came back to bite him. Seattle gets an actual home game. Well, NYCFC have to play what felt like a neutral venue game. There was no atmosphere for that second leg. And the fact that they had to play their home legs in three straight rounds in three different stadiums. They played in Bank of California Stadium in the round of 16 against Santos de Guapiles. And then in the quarterfinals against Comunicaciones, it was Wrenchler Field. Mm-hmm. And then semifinals against Seattle, it's at Red Bull Arena. God knows where the final would have been. Did they announce that? Would it have been City Field or something? Um, I mean, that's just ridiculous. This is a club that had a legitimate shot to become the first MLS team to win CCL, and it was undermined to some degree by this ridiculous stadium situation. There.
1: Well, it was undermined in terms of the reality. And it's, it's worse if, you, if you're not expecting it and, and you have to adjust. They, everybody knew that and well, suck it up, Buttercup, figure it out. This is what NYCFC is. If you are a player going to play there, you understand. That this is what the reality is on and off the field of this club. If you are a coach going to coach there, you understand what the rea- reality is. Everybody, nobody likes it, no, no, and everybody, but everybody understands that that this is what NYCFC is. It it is a problem. It's a problem for the league as a whole, and it's a problem for NYCFC. But I mean, there's there's not a stadium just magically appearing <laughs> in any time soon. I thought Ian Joy would have gotten this
2: done by now. It's right? A,
1: I mean, didn't isn't that the whole reason we sent him out there?
2: Yeah, it's. Been I a mean, well, that just just, just to
1: show you, I mean, energy while important, it does not solve all of the world's ills. And that is it. That's it. All right, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe. Don't go anywhere, and and beyond. All right, we're back, and it's time for our look around uh, Europe. Uh, Masi, where do you want to start? Over there in the uh, the old Premier League?
2: Yeah, this is going to be a beefy European segment. Okay, I'll try to go through it as quickly as I can. I want to start with the FA Cup semifinals. Um, one note, though, uh, we got an Ask Alexi question about Zach Steffen, so yes. we're going to address the Steffen angle come, don't down worry. there and the Pulisic angle as well and have a larger Yanks abroad conversation down there, But uh, so uh, we won't touch on that here. But uh, listen, I've said on this podcast that uh, I think Liverpool are better than Manchester City. I think they're the best team in Europe. They're certainly capable of beating City under any circumstances, but it must be said, this set up very nicely for them. They got the easier Champions League quarterfinal draw against Benfica. They were able to put that tie to bed in the first leg, which meant they could rotate in the second leg and go all in on this FA Cup semifinal. While City had that grueling battle against Atletico, which meant they had to rotate on Saturday, but beyond the personnel, because truth be told, City's squad is such that even rotating a few positions is still a very strong lineup. In fact, if you did the math on it, their 11 might have cost more than Liverpool's, but it was more just a mental thing. You could tell coming off that Atletico game, City did not want to be playing Liverpool three days later. There was a palpable sense going into this game and even in the opening minutes that Liverpool were more up for it. They wanted to be on that field. City did not. Um... So sure enough, Liverpool dominated the first half. They raced out to a 3-0 halftime lead. And it was so easy. I think they switched off in the second half while City's pride kicked in. Give them credit. They made a game of it. That second goal just came too late. You wonder if Gabriel Jesus had put away that chance in the 70-something minute when he was denied by Alisson. Uh, maybe the outcome would have been different. But instead, Liverpool takes it 3-2. The quadruple is still on. They're off to the FA Cup final where they'll face Chelsea, who beat Crystal Palace 2-0. Loftus, Cheek, and Mason Mount with the goals. Uh, for Chelsea. It's their third straight FA Cup final. They've lost the previous two and this is a rematch of that crazy League Cup final a few weeks ago between these two sides. So any non-Stefan, non-Pulisic FA Cup semifinals.
1: Oh, so first off, when people talk about the quadruple, uh, just go through it again. Uh, it would be uh, Champions League, FA Cup, uh, the, league. I mean, Le- uh, the league. The league. The
2: league uh, but, uh, but, Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, and League mm-hmm. Cup, which they've already won. Right. They beat Chelsea on penalties in the final when Kepa Sky, that penalty, right. remember that crazy? Okay,
1: all right. I mean, all of it is in their hands, except they do need Man City to, to screw up uh, to win the PL, right? I mean, of, of, all the, of all the things, that would be the one, I think that I have the least amount of faith is going to happen. But it's, it's all there, and that would be, for, for an already amazing team and a team that's going to go down in history as one of the greatest ever, that would be, that would be something. Man, oh man. kind of want to see it.
2: Uh, in terms of the Premier League, the top four race uh, felt more like a relegation battle this weekend with all the teams trying to screw up. <laughs> uh, Tottenham lost at home to Brighton, which was surprising given how well they had been playing. Arsenal fell to Southampton. They are absolutely imploding. And frankly, looking at their remaining fixture list, I'm not sure how many more games Arsenal are going to win this season. Um, so I guess the quote-unquote winners in the top four races this weekend were manchester united but it, even they didn't cover themselves in glory because they surrendered a two goal lead to norwich and then needed a late uh goal to win three two uh cristiano ronaldo with all three goals um his 60th hat trick for club and country 50th at club level so he's
1: he's good now
2: right and he's not the problem now we'll get to that in a second okay. first of all uh some some personal news today um ronaldo announced uh his uh, partner was giving birth to twins, and there were some complications, and one of the babies passed away. Oh, yeah, the other saw that. So, uh, some sad news there. Um, thoughts and prayers. So, it's a little bit of an odd transition to go from that to talking about him as a player, but that's what we do here. Um, what was interesting about this performance is it occurred against the backdrop of United, or essentially have reached a deal to hire Eric Ten Hag as their next manager, and he reportedly doesn't want Ronaldo on the team next season. He and Ralph Rangnick are both of the belief that Ronaldo takes more off the table than he puts on at this point. And Ronaldo goes and scores a hat-trick, so it triggered that whole debate again about what do you make of Ronaldo's season and his value as a player. So, you know...
1: I I don't think it changes their idea or belief at all. I mean, I don't think... In them them saying that, that doesn't mean that he's not a good player, that he can't go out and score goals. I just think for for what they want to do it's not the type of player in this moment that they that they need so
2: it's been interesting to see the different sides of that argument i mean there are some that it, they feel like everybody's overthinking this uh he scores goals and and he's won them so many points with his goals and and where would they be without him kind of thing they it looks at it as a positive but then you know Thierry Henry said that i thought it was a pretty clever way to put it he said their medicine is also their poison in that uh, they're so reliant on him and that's just not a formula for success if you're looking to compete with the Liverpools and Manchester Cities. While Jonathan Wilson went even further, he said, Ronaldo gets credit for rescuing games when he's one of the reasons they needed rescuing in the first place. So, you know, it's this notion that... Because,
1: because why? He didn't
2: defend? It's two or? things. He he doesn't uh, lift the finger defensively so it undermines their ability to press. Unlike which,
1: Thierry Henry. Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> we all know, know him well for his defensive prowess.
2: Uh, and then number two, the fact that the attack is built so much around him that it it undermines other. What well, the hell are they
1: going to build it around? You build it around a guy that scores goals.
2: Well, yeah, but you know it, it is it is noteworthy that they finished second without him last season, and it, all the players around them have seemingly gotten worse this season. So, I mean, that there is something to it. I, I'm so Ronaldo's responsible for making the players worse. I, I, I'm I'm of the belief that. If, if you're realistically looking to compete with Liverpool and Manchester City, uh, listen, if you build a team around Ronaldo, he's still going to score uh, a fair amount of goals. But to me, that's just not the formula that's going to get you to that level. I mean, so uh, I know you love the guy, but I, I, I guess I'm in the Jonathan Wilson, Thierry on camp on that
1: one. OK, so who do you build the team around in terms of a uh, Robert Lewandowski? Oh, big time defender! That guy runs up and down, really, really (laughs) defensive type of player. He's really doing the work. Come on, man! If you build play, you this is one of the greatest players ever. Okay, he scores goals. He's not there to defend, and it's not as if he's just off picking his nose in the corner during uh, during games. So I, but but again, that doesn't mean that I don't necessarily completely understand and agree where. The coaching staff, either Ralph Ragnick or uh, what's his name is coming in? Uh, Eric Hag. Eric Tenhagen is completely I but I would I would rather say I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with that type of player in a rebuild and a new type of thing that I'm that I'm doing. At least that would be honest. But anyway, I digress.
2: Uh, in Spain this weekend, La Liga is now the league in Europe that does VAR the worst. Um, the Sevilla-Real Madrid game was a refereeing apocalypse. Um, (laughs) Camavinga should have been sent off in the first half. Vinicius had a goal wrongly disallowed, tons of other bad calls. But amidst all that madness, there was a great game. Sevilla raced out to a 2-0 lead. At that point, Barcelona fans were getting ideas because had Real Madrid lost and Barcelona won their games in hand, it would have been down to six. Not but so Ra- fast. Not Real so Madrid fast. being Real Madrid, they staged this incredible second-half comeback. Rodrigo came on at the start of the second half and was terrific. He got the goal that made it 2-1. Nacho, another substitute, equalized. And then who else but Kareem Benzema gets the stoppage time winner on an assist from Rodrigo. And so Real Madrid takes it 3-2. This result uh, pretty much put La Liga to bed, even more so because Barcelona then turned around and lost today at home to Cadiz. So... I mean, it is over. We can talk about Real Madrid clinching here within the next couple of rounds. So uh,
1: I want to make sure, because uh, I have to keep track of who's good and who's bad. Javi, good or bad?
2: He's you still good or. <laughs> still good, but. Okay, uh, still good. Well, and we're going to talk about Europa League. Okay. Uh, yeah, some of okay. this feel good. <laughs> All right. Barcelona has gotten really undermined in the last uh, few okay. days. All right. Um, what, 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 but, before, but before you move on, why. Does
1: La Liga get VAR bad? They just, they're just they just making the wrong call, according always, to you?
2: I've always found the officiating to be atrocious in that league. So now they're adding VAR to it. You're just adding more incompetent people to the mix. So it just... You I'm don't like Spaniards,
1: is what you're saying? You just I don't, I don't like, like Spanish, Spanish. officials, okay, seriously.
2: <laughs> um, it, on, the, on that topic, Atletico Madrid beat Espanol 2-1. Atletico Madrid were winning this game 1-0 in the second half. And they had a midfielder, Condogbia, sent off maybe the worst refereeing decision I've ever seen in my life <laughs> um, and so they had to play with 10 men they surrendered an equalizer and then they got a stoppage time winner on a penalty and that was kind of a dodgy handball decision so like I said Spain this weekend with the officiating was an absolute
1: you were not having mess. any of it huh? okay All right. uh,
2: in uh, Italy we know there's this three-way race for the Serie A title between Milan Inter and Napoli Milan and Inter both won uh, this weekend Milan beat Genoa Inter beat Spezia Shout out to the Spezia player who subbed on in the second half and then had to get subbed out minutes later because he couldn't remove his earring. Um, Napoli. Uh, hey,
1: who hasn't been there? Yes.
2: <laughs> um, there, there's a funny quote. I, it, uh, there was a college football player years ago who uh, they they got rid of a coach who was a disciplinarian and brought in a guy who was more of a player's coach and he was asked about it and he said, yeah, this guy treats us like men. He lets us wear earrings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Um, I had so much jewelry. Oh,
2: Napoli played today against Roma. Uh, They had a 1-0 lead late, thanks to a goal by Toronto FC bound Lorenzo Insigne, but then they surrendered a stoppage time equalizer to Stefan el Sharawi, an absolute killer. So, Napoli, of those three teams, Napoli is the one that blinks this weekend. They fall off the pace a little bit, um, but the race rolls on. Um, PSG closing out. Hold on, before we
1: go, uh, just uh, a... uh uh, a rest in peace and condolences. Uh, you, you mentioned Napoli and it just it, it triggered. Uh, Freddie Rincón, who passed away uh, a couple of days ago, Colombian, uh, former Colombian international, got in a car accident and uh, I think he was 53 years old. So, uh, I mean, the the scenes in Colombia uh, from the hospital where he was and then they brought him into the stadium and anything like that. I remember playing against him, obviously, with Colombia and in the World Cup, but also when he was with Napoli in, um, in, uh, in Syria
2: absolutely uh know. i i meant to bring that up somewhere here i couldn't find the right but i'm, I'm glad you yeah no that was terrible news yeah man that that uh 94 colombia team uh, <laughs> it's, uh, they were
1: they just they would come at you in in waves and, and, and Spria over here and rincon over here and, just, and
2: this has been big big news in brazil because he played many years for corinthians and palmeiras and was a big star in brazilian football so yeah i've been listening to podcasts about his career and reading about you know all the write-ups on it so yeah very sad news Um, so, uh, in France, uh, PSG, uh, beat Marseille, uh, two to one this weekend. Uh, Neymar scored a great goal. Uh, Mbappe also found the back net from the penalty spot. Uh, Neymar letting Mbappe take that penalty was interesting in the context of everything going on with Mbappe. Uh, Marseille felt hard done by the officiating here because that penalty was a bit of a dodgy handball decision as well. And they had uh, a goal wiped out late because of a millimetric offside's call, Um, but PSG take it, so uh, they could clinch uh, the league on title this week. In fact, there's a midweek round in uh, France, and depending on how results go there, they could already clinch that. Uh, And then in Germany, Bayern are closing in on speaking uh, of clinching, right? Uh, Yeah, so they beat their classic car, right? Is that when that's going to happen? They beat Armenia, Bielefeld, uh, Dortmund thumped Wolfsburg uh 6-1 but uh that Bayern winning it keeps it at 9 with four rounds to go and yeah they 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 play head to head coming up so yeah i mean Bayern are are going to wrap up another Bundesliga title for them uh yeah lots of rumors about Robert Lewandowski uh you know it's unclear whether We've just, been through this before though right it's unclear whether he's just angling for a new contract or whether he really wants to go i think there's a part of him he's been in Germany for 12 years he's won everything there is to win including Champions League and i don't know it's got to be a little bit boring playing for Bayern and winning the Bundesliga every year. I mean, he probably wants a different kind of challenge before he retires. There's been talk about Barcelona, maybe the Premier League. It wouldn't surprise me if he wants to try something different, you know?
1: I, Yeah. I mean, from a selfish perspective, I want to see it because I'm always fascinated to see what players who have these incredibly long careers. And they're they're kind of unicorns now. There's not a lot of players that stay at one place for a long time, like he is, and what they look like when you take them out of that, uh, out of that bubble. I mean, we we talk about Messi and all that kind of stuff, and and especially for a goal scorer like him, what he would look like in a different country, different culture, uh, and a different a different setup, and not being on just far and away the best team in that in that league. So, I I like I said selfishly, I hope it happens, but. He might just be, you know, angling, like you say, to get a whole nother contract. And, and he deserves it because he does the most difficult thing in our game.
2: And then we we'll Sorry, not the- our
1: game. Not our game. Oh, boy. Most difficult thing in the game. See? I'm catching myself.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we'll end with the European competitions, which usually means Champions League. But I told Luis, let's start giving some love to the other competitions now that we're down the business end of it. Um, th- last week was a big week for the Conference League because... Everybody decided to come out full-throatedly in favor of that competition. Rory Smith wrote a glowing piece about it. I saw tons of people on Twitter tweeting about how-
1: they, Now that's they, not, that's lower than the NIT, right? That's the, <laughs> the next one correct, down, right? Correct, yeah.
2: Okay. But people seem to be enjoying it. I saw all these tweets about how this is the greatest thing ever and thank God UEFA did this. They finally got something right. Uh-huh. Um I Can don't you have a, get any more hipster. Than I that? don't have an issue with it. It hasn't added that much enjoyment to my life, frankly. <laughs> over the course of the season, it's been tough to keep track. Wait, what's pa- a Europa League pa- game? How Marseille
1: what? has not added any more uh, enjoyment what? to your life?
2: <laughs> <laughs> been tough to keep track. What's a Europa League game and what's a Conference League game? But there is a very tasty final four here. Uh, it will be Marseille, who are managed by former Argentina boss Jorge Sampaoli, uh, against Feyenoord, and then Leicester against Roma, which means Jose Mourinho going back to England. Uh, you Madagascan mean slavia
1: against, Praha didn't make
2: it through they did not no. oh really so but roma leicester's got some juice no, it does it, Mourinho against yes. brendan rogers who is former protege but, but again the the
1: reason why this has any juice is because these are big teams it goes back to the super league people want to see big teams <laughs> they want to see big names oh what a surprise what a surprise when we have lester and roma and Feyenoord and marseille and by the way Big names. Yeah, I'm i being a little uh, in a little little kind with the big names there. But again, if it had been Slavia Praha and Pauk that had gone through, would have cared?
2: Uh, the Europa League semis, it's uh, West oh, this Ham. This is
1: NIT, though. This, this is NIT. Oh, we're getting into the serious stuff here.
2: Okay, West go. Ham against Eintracht Frankfurt and then Leipzig against Rangers. A few notes here on the quarterfinals. Leipzig advanced courtesy of a 2-0 win over Atalanta. Christopher Nkunku scored both goals. He's up to 30 in all competitions. France have three different players who have scored 30-plus goals in all competitions this season, Benzema Mbappe and Nkunku which is incredible. And by the way, I know the Jesse Marsh story has had a happy ending this season with him taking over at Leeds and doing a great job there. But it must be said, since getting rid of him, Leipzig have been lights out. They're up to third in the Bundesliga. They're in the semifinals of the Europa League and the German Cup. They play Union Berlin in that this week. So. And who's, who's the coach there? Uh, Domenico Tedesco.
1: Tedesco, you know what he should do. You should that? pull a Jesse Marsh and say, you know, uh, this team was overtrained and this was a, a big problem. Because that's what Jesse said about Bielsa and stuff like that. So, yep. you know.
2: Um, interesting note on West Ham. Um, May 15th, they host Manchester City. And yeah. Liverpool fans have all circled that game on the calendar as being City's toughest game where they might drop points. But the Europa League final is three days later. <laughs> if West Ham are in a situation where they're out of top four and in that Europa League final, they might rest guys for that City game. So Liverpool might get burned on that, but I'm getting way ahead of myself there. But it's just something I thought of as I saw West Ham advancing to the semis and looking very strong in that competition. Luis Aguilar getting a huge kick out of that for some reason. Well,
1: I think I've made my my feelings very clear about what I, resting players yes. and platooning and, you know.
2: And finally... Eintracht Frankfurt advanced to the semis by virtue of a 3-2 win at Camp Nou, which gave them a 4-3 aggregate triumph over Barcelona. The big story here, though, was the composition of the crowd. There were 30,000 Frankfurt fans at the stadium uh, cheering very loudly, booing Barcelona players. It, it, It turned into a hostile atmosphere for Barcelona in their own stadium. Xavi was furious about it. Laporta, the president, came out and said he was embarrassed. There's this whole inquest going on as to how this could have happened. Uh, they said they have to be more vigilant about who they sell tickets to online. Barcelona fans who sold tickets to Frankfurt fans are being castigated. <laughs> the ultras staged the protest today in the Cadiz game. They showed the disapproval of, about what went down on Thursday. Now, I thought of two things here. Okay. First of all, there's a famous episode in Brazilian football history, 1976, Fluminense-Corinthians semifinal of the Brazilian Championship. Corinthians brought 70,000 fans to the Maracanã Invasão Corintiana. it's known as. My father, who is a Fluminense fan, was at that game, said it's one of the worst days of his life. It was completely embarrassing to have the stadium taken over by the opposing fans. The other thing I thought of is you, my friend. Me? Because... What did I do? When the topic is playing a quote-unquote home game in front of a hostile crowd, I would think any U.S. national teamer from your era is uniquely qualified to yeah. talk about what that's like. So what was going through these Barcelona players' minds? Because you went through that yourself.
1: <laughs> well, the difference is we had nothing really to compare it to. <laughs> so the compare and contrast with, well, it's usually everybody's cheering for us and we're the best things in sliced bread and they're all behind us and, and stuff like that. Um, you, There is a sense of not just frustration, but anger as to how this could happen or why this is happening in our case, I mean, the answer was very, very simple is that we were playing against Mexico, let's say, in Los Angeles, all right, and so that this happened in um in Barcelona, right uh, that I think is what is surprising um, but you know the the post-mortem and the recriminations and all that kind of stuff that may or may not come, uh, may may not come from this, you really have to look inward because ultimately, where do the fans get the tickets? They got the tickets if they were sold to Barce- quote-unquote Barcelona fans. That's where the real, I guess, problem will be. But maybe Barcelona is not Mestoune club. Maybe it's just a club. And maybe their fans aren't really as authentic and real and committed as they purport to be maybe they're just good old fashioned american capitalists
2: our uh, former producer frances silva had to be completely <laughs> embarrassed by that she's a barcelona oh, fan and geez, yeah. was, um all right oh by the way also the champions league semifinals are that okay. now that we've sifted through those there other two go. competitions yes uh, you might recall when the quarterfinal draw occurred i said bayern had essentially gotten a, a, a buy into the semis that's how confident i was they were going to beat Villarreal. And yet, it is Villarreal, my friend, who are into the final four. Um,
1: well, obviously, Lewandowski didn't play enough defense. Um, uh, man, oh, man. Uh, on Callbacks a, on, on this show are just, they're they are constant. They just keep coming to me.
2: On a serious note, okay. Julian Nagelsman has come out and said he's gotten hundreds of death threats, which, come on, people. I mean, that's... that's
1: authentic soccer, right? That's that,
2: That's, that's ridiculous. In any, true th- fandom, right? That's ridiculous in any context, but particularly a Bayern fan. How spoiled can you be? You've won a gazillion trophies, <laughs> Champions League time. You can't have one bad day and, oh my God. They, they,
1: right. I mean, if you're going <laughs> to write a death threat, at least be uh, of a team that is long-suffering. Long suffering. <laughs> exactly. Understood. <laughs> Completely understand, my
2: friend. Um, yeah. So, uh, VRL Advance, which, by the way, means Unai Emery, a uh, year after winning the Europa League, now into the Champions League semis. People can't figure out whether to make fun of PSG or Arsenal about that because he was unceremoniously fired from both those clubs. So, um, but here he is. And, and
1: he's he, good now.
2: He's terrific. Yes, um, And they will face Liverpool, who I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the FA Cup semis. Uh, Liverpool had beaten Benfica 3-1 in Lisbon, so they rotated for this second leg, got out to a 3-1 lead at Anfield. By the way, Benfica got it to 3-3 and had a chance to make it 4-3. Allison made a miraculous save. That was save. nuts, huh? If that goes in, it would have made for a nervy last few minutes there. But it, nevertheless, uh, Liverpool move on. I'm not going to disrespect Villarreal again. I but, will. But certainly Liverpool, the favorites. I in mean, the Real,
1: Manchester City, Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Villarreal. One of these kids is not like the other. Let's be honest. Yes. Okay? And, you know, we keep saying, all right, this is where it ends. Well, we we just talked about how good Liverpool is. So they again got a nice little draw here, despite what, what Villarreal has done. And they won't take them lightly, but this is also Liverpool. And at some point, that fairy tale type of run has to run into reality.
2: Uh, other side of the bracket, Manchester City advanced, um, got past Atlético Madrid. They brought a 1-0 first leg lead to Spain. Uh, the first half of that second leg went according to plan. They had more than 70% possession, were in relative control of the game. So you go in at halftime thinking, okay, they're going to do this again for another 45 minutes and be on their way. And then what happened? They got absolutely battered for the final 45 minutes. Like, I haven't seen a pep team get battered in his whole career and had to hold on for dear life, Um, which, did, you know, th- this... Uh, tie was played against the backdrop of this whole debate over the, the narrative from yeah, and so after the first leg in which Simeone had parked the bus uh, Pep made some comments which he swears weren't meant to be disrespectful but the Spanish media took it to be him dissing Atlético and Simeone took it to be him dissing Atlético and used it as bulletin board material for the second leg so uh, the Spanish media derived a lot of pre- uh, pleasure from City having to play the way they did those last 45 minutes to get out of there you know you're supposed to be the romantic and you know you 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 had to resort to you know the same kind of tactics that Atlético it. Madrid would, and that's it. So I mean, the last ten minutes of this game, it was like a Libertadores match broke out. You know, <laughs> Atlético Atlético Madrid are like a Libertadores team playing in the Champions League. What did you make of all that craziness with Phil Foden and the red cards and uh, the pushing and shoving? You know.
1: Well, I mean the 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 beautiful dark arts <laughs> on display, and I mean Phil Foden's injury, quote unquote injury off the field to then roll two or three times back on the field was chef's kiss of a, uh, of a dark art. I mean, it was, it, it was beautiful insanity. I just loved all of it. Uh, I loved the drama and the theater and, you know, our, yeah, I, 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 I guess when you think about soccer, um, the, the theatrics that, sometimes irritate people out there. I love it. I love that the game (laughs) of soccer has this theatrical type of part of it that uh, it's, I I know, like I said, I know it irritates people, but, and it was on display in this game. So it was a fun game to watch.
2: But I mean, how jarring was it to see a pep team just hoofing balls up the field and feigning cramps and time wasting and doing things that you'd never associate with him? I mean,
1: It's that's all mental because it's it's not as if this isn't a good team. It's not as if uh, this team, but there there is there is something that that clicks in a player's mind and then in a team's mind that what we want to do we can't do for whatever reason, and so we need to just do whatever it is in order to stay alive in the in the moment. And even the best teams at a certain point are able to do it. And I, I guess I don't know if this vindicates. Uh, Simeone for people, but at least it shows that he's not completely dogmatic and that there is another side. We don't see it as uh, uh, enough or or often, but there is the ability to do something different. And I, so I think that he uh, even you you lost, but in a certain sense you won.
2: And then finally, uh, what can we say about Real Madrid that hasn't already been said? Uh, so. Uh, They brought a 3-1 first leg lead into the return leg at the Bernabeu against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea absolutely worked them over for 70-plus minutes. They race out to a 3-0 lead. Take the advantage on the aggregate. You feel like Real Madrid are dead to rights. And then Luka Modric pulls out an incredible pass. Uh, Rodrigo finishes it 3-1. That gets him to extra time. And then Real Madrid come alive in extra time. Who else? But Karim Benzema scores off a lovely cross by Vinicius. And so 3-2, Real Madrid move on. Uh, I mean, I don't know where to begin with this game. There was so much to talk about.
1: Well, I mean, the Luka Modric situation uh, in in the, we all know that he's one of the great players of the game and will go down as one of the great players of the game. And in that game, we saw different moments. Now, you want to talk about someone who does play both ways and will never be looked at in the way that a Ralph Rangnick looks at Cristiano. It's a Luka Modric. And at one point, if you watch this game, he is literally playing center back and stopping the counter because they were always teetering through the game. And to, and to your point, they, they should have lost this game. But they were playing on the edge and Luka Modric at one point is the last guy back and he's making game-saving plays. And then on the other side of the ball, it's one of the great passes in the game's history. And he saw it. He had the technical ability to do it and the, the timing and the arc. And he puts it on a platter. And if it, if it needed solidifying, it solidified his stature and status as one of the great players ever to play. Can
2: I put my Brazil hat on here for sure, one second? Ahead. I agree with you. The most more impressive part of that goal was the pass. It's an all-timer by Luca Modric, but also a very good finish by Rodrigo. And it, it was almost like, you know, people felt like if they praised the finish too much, it would detract from the pass. They had to make it seem like he served it up on a silver platter for him. Yes, it was a great pass, but Rodrigo still had a lot to do on that play. And And for a, a substitute just coming on his first touch to... Snatch the ball out of the air like that and put it away in that That's, situation. I, I,
1: I was going to give you love anyway because I thought Vinny was the best player on the field. I thought that I thought he was really, really good.
2: Right. And and Rodrigo, who who by the way is that quote unquote other Brazilian who gets overshadowed by Vinicius. Right. He had a great last few days because he scored that goal against Chelsea, and then I mentioned earlier he came on and had a goal and an assist in their comeback against Sevilla. So he's growing in stature too as well. There, so Rambo did have two young. I mean, even Brazilian even the
1: assist to Benzema in, in that moment again, just to to. To break free, to create that separation, and then to just caress it—it's still a cross, but it's so much more of a a pass cross. It was
2: just pretty. And one note on the officiating in this game: oh boy. Uh, first off, the Marcos Alonso play by letter of the law was the correct decision. But even if you didn't think so and you had an issue with that goal being disallowed, the Rüdiger goal came about due to a corner kick that wasn't. The replay clearly showed that should have been a goal kick for Real Madrid. So. At worst, those two plays cancel out. So um, I don't want to hear any crying from Tuchel. I know people always like to have a go at Real Madrid and say they win because of the referees, but I didn't think that was the case in, in that game.
1: Would you be in favor of, I guess, you're basically pushing back the line to
2: include
1: reviewing corner kicks? We know how important set pieces are. We know how important corners are, but would you be in favor of that? Beforehand, without knowing that it led...
2: To a goal or...
1: No, but you, you can't review a corner kick. Right. So if, if it's the wrong call, it stands. You get the advantage of having that corner kick and then... No, the I, I hear you.
2: I've, I've thought about that. But so you would, you'd want to review potentially every corner kick before it's yeah. even taken? Yeah. Um, was it a corner kick or wasn't a corner Is there even a question of whether it was a corner kick? If there
1: is, boom, let's pull it up. Hold the corner kick for a second. No, it's not.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't have. I a don't think. Sh- it, I mean, I, we're we're introducing more VAR to the game, which well, people hate. But
1: well, where do you stop that line? You keep <laughs> pushing it back. I think because set pieces and corner kicks are so important in that moment, that I think it's justified to validate the call on the field for something that can be so important. And it's it's a stoppage. There's a stoppage in that moment, so you can actually you can actually do it, which means they definitely won't do it. <laughs>
2: Um, So, to wrap things up, that sets up Manchester City against Real Madrid in the semis. And listen, uh, do I think Manchester City are the better team? Of course, but I also thought PSG and Chelsea were better teams and thought they played better football over the course of the two legs and Real Madrid still advanced. So, there's something going on with Real Madrid here. That mystique is uh, in full effect this season. So, I'm very leery of picking against them, particularly since the second leg is at the Bernabeu. So, we know how difficult it is to finish off that team there. Uh,
1: So Who do you want in the final?
2: So we're presuming Liverpool. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, unless you want Villarreal in the final. But as I said, this is who you want in the final. I kind of want Liverpool-Man City. Just with what everything that's going on, I kind of want that.
2: Yeah, but I, it's one of those you can't go wrong because Liverpool-Real I mean, Madrid would also be yep. terrific. It'd be a rematch of the 2018 final. Uh, the last final we covered, by the way, on Fox, uh, where Bale had the crazy bicycle kick. Oh, okay, my God. Remember that?
1: Blunder, screaming and yelling in the studio. and oh,
2: Sergio Ramos and Mo Salah, whatever happened there. <laughs> um uh so so that's where we are with the Champions League, the Europa League, and your favorite, the Conference League. Love it. All, all three competitions Love down to the Love the semifinals. conference
1: league. Love me some conference league. All right. NIT. What's the is there a third basketball tournament out there? Get on that, Louise. Find out what the, what the third basketball tournament out there. Because I, I know it's it's got a college is what I'm talking about. You have the NCAA tournament, then you have the NIT, and there's gotta be a third tier type of thing. Anyway, uh all right, thank you, Mossy. We're done. Yep. Okay, we'll take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Evidently, it's called the D2. That's the third tier of tournament when it comes to college basketball uh, postseason play. So... We'll see. Anyway, uh, allegedly, I don't know if Louise is really on top of this one, but uh, it doesn't matter. We're going to get into our uh, Twitter questions here that you can send on all the different platforms, whether it's Twitter or not. You use that hashtag #AskAlexei, or you can send a question by our uh, our hotline six five seven five four nine two two nine seven at six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. We got a bunch of Twitter questions this week, right, Mossy? Yep.
2: All right. Uh, what do we got? First up, at the Way asks. Do you think Stefan gets enough playing time to be able to handle the pressure of being a World Cup keeper? It didn't seem like it against Liverpool. So we didn't touch on this right. earlier because we wanted to save it for here. It's a dilemma that managers have when they play the backup goalkeeper in the earlier rounds of these domestic cups. What do you do when you get to the climax of the competition? Pep has always been a staunch believer that you go with the guy that got you there. So I wasn't surprised that Stefan started, but it uh, that decision uh, proved to be a mistake by Pep because Stefan had a nightmarish performance, and taking it out of a Manchester City context into a U.S. national team context, uh, that triggered a lot of reaction on Twitter. What were your feelings on that Stefan performance and the potential implications for the U.S. national?
1: I mean, everything that could have gone wrong for Zach Stefan went wrong in that day. Um, Obviously, the mistakes, the loss, the goalkeeper on the other side, where the philosophy was different, and it showed. Uh, and ultimately, the juxtaposition between the two. Uh, when it comes to Zach Steffen, what I was, I wasn't surprised at the reaction. But what I was surprised with how it seemed that for many, this was the moment. This was the the, the seminal moment that changed their feelings, or for many, confirmed their feelings. I've said all along that that I believe that Matt Turner is the number one and should be starting. We all know that when it comes to Zach Steffen, uh, he is Greg Berhalter's guy, and every coach has their players, their favorites. So that this is nothing. This is nothing new, and I'm I'm okay with Zach Steffen playing, but Zach Steffen is. Uh, for lack of a better word, he is incredibly nonchalant and casual and, and in many ways too comfortable in the moment. But keep in mind that Zach Steffen specifically has been brought in and targeted both by Greg Berhalter and by Pep Guardiola and Man City because of the modern goalkeeper and specifically because of the way Man City wants to play. And so in that moment, did he make a mistake? Yeah. He made a mistake, and he couldn't get out of his feet. But the reason why he is doing that is because of the way he has been conditioned to play, both for club and for country, even though they are very two, uh, two very different things. Now, did he mess up in that moment with his feet because he's not in a rhythm? And he's not playing games? I, I, I don't necessarily think so, but... It is a ready-made excuse right there in the palm of your hand. In the same way that people are looking at Harry Kane and saying Spurs lost because he went to Augusta and watched golf on a private jet and then came back. Is it because he went to Augusta? No. Is it? It could be. it, It could not be. But if that excuse is there and you don't win on the weekend, there it is. It's right on a platter for you. In the same way that for for Zach Steffen, he could have been playing every single game and still made that uh, made made that error. But he isn't playing every single game, and so therefore it's on a platter in front of uh, in front of people. All of that is when we when we shift it to the U.S. national team. I think first off, when it comes to Matt Turner, he's much better with his feet than people give him credit for, and I actually think he's improved dramatically over the last couple of years. But also keep in mind, Matt Turner's injured. Uh, he'll probably play, and we, we hear he's training right now, probably play through June when he goes to Arsenal. And then who knows when he's going to play regularly going forward. So he could also be in the same position as a Zach Steffen when it comes to, uh, when it comes to not playing. Uh, in this, I'm actually more concerned with the other goal that he let up. And look, Sadio Mane is a wonderful player, and he takes it out of the air. But I think you got to save that. It's, it's not in the upper 90. It's, it's a nice shot, but I, that for me is more concerning because while Zach Steffen is there for his ability with his feet, that's all fine and well, but you're a goalkeeper and your first priority is save the ball. And if that's a problem, then I do think that he has a problem. Now, he's talked about going, and we've heard this before about him going on, going on loan, but where, where is he going to go? But let me just finish it here. And I know I'm, I'm going long here, but it was, it was surprising to me how many people in this moment seem to have this, uh, this aha type of moment that we're in big trouble if we go to the World Cup and in November, Zach St- Stefan is starting simply because he made a mistake in that moment. Did, were, did you think that it was as horrible and as egregious and defining as others did?
2: Here's what I'll say about it. I'm an admitted Euro snob. That's true. I, generally speaking, think that the U.S. national team having less MLS players and more guys (laughs) that are competing in the top leagues in Europe is a sign of progress. And if you're choosing between a guy in MLS and a guy competing in uh, one of the top leagues in Europe, generally speaking, I'm partial to the Europe guy because I do think there's something to be said for doing it in that context. But Zach Steffen has always been a bridge too far for me in that argument. And I'm old enough to remember Stu Holden getting roasted when Steffen moved to City for questioning that move and suggesting that the inactivity might hurt his form and might cost him the starting job with the U.S. national team. You were criticized for saying the same thing at the time. And people tried to fit that into some narrative about you and Stu being MLS shills. And I'm, an, I'm a Euro snob and I'm here to tell you, no, those were legitimate concerns to raise at the time. And to me, those chickens have come home to roost now because it has had an effect on him. We cover this guy in the Bundesliga with Dusseldorf. And to me, he's a worse goalkeeper now than he was then. And, to, to, and he's a potential liability for the World Cup. And the fact that he's Greg Berhalter stated number one and we're months away from the World Cup and you don't feel great about the projected starting goalkeeper, to me, is an issue for for a team like the U.S. So, um I mean, yeah, Yeah, I mean,
1: (laughs) this is this is this is great. But if you if you were looking for the example that is going to justify your concern of him being a liability, it's it's right there. It's right there in front of you. I'm just saying that this didn't change my mind one way or the other.
2: And here's the thing. Uh, we know Matt Turner is going to go to Arsenal now. Yep. And come November, December, he might be dealing with the same issue of not having played. So if you have two goalkeepers that are inactive, to me, you default to who you think... Three is, now, because Horvath is inactive <laughs> right. too. But let, let's just focus on Turner and Seven for a second. If, if both of them are inactive, you default to who you think the better one is. And the issue is, I think you and I and most people think it's Turner, while Greg Burhalter seems to think it's Stephen. So,
1: but But again... And I I heard Ernie Stewart the, the uh, you know the technical director for all of U.S. soccer and he was asked about what is success for this team and he very very clearly said and I I, I wish I could attribute it I don't know where where I heard it but um, apologies for not attributing it but he very clearly said obviously getting out of the group is successful but he couched it as But how we get out of the group is important. And so there is a real belief that how this team plays is as important as whether they win or lose. And how this team plays, according to Greg Berhalter, is playing out of the back. My fear is that as we get up against better and better competition, and that will start from the first game in the World Cup, our ability to play out of the back and to have possession is going to be less And less, even at a point where it becomes, um, it becomes problematic to try to do so. And so you're going to need someone who ultimately saves the ball. And I think Matt Turner is actually better at simply saving the ball. And I I don't, I can't believe I need to say this, but when all, when all is said and done, as a goalkeeper, your first priority should and will always be save the ball, even if you have to kick it when it comes to you fifty. Yards away in the in the uh, in the upper deck, I'm okay with that as long
2: as you're saving the ball. Now, can we expand this to a larger Yanks abroad yes. conversation? Yes, because uh, Christian Pulisic really struggled in that Champions League quarterfinal tie against Real Madrid. We just discussed he started the first leg was awful, got hauled off after 60 something minutes, and then came on as a sub in the second leg, provided very little spark. I didn't have that big an issue with the misses. I think the English media has really overstated the degree to which those were sitters, but uh, just didn't provide much of a spark off the bench like you would expect them to. And then he's an unused sub over the weekend in the FA Cup semifinal. And this seemed to be the weekend where some alarm bells went off as far as Americans in Europe in general. I saw Grant Wall and Matt Doyle tweeting at each other about this. Others making this point that if you think about uh, Americans that are in the top five or six leagues in Europe and that you expect to be in the World Cup roster, how many of them are playing week in and week out and playing well? And it's not that many. Uh, most of them, either because of loss of form or injury or or some other reason, are not playing regularly or not playing that well. And so, how concerned are you about that in general?
1: Well, you being an incredible Euro snob, right? Would you rather we took all of these players that aren't playing regularly and play, and they were playing regularly in MLS? Would that be better?
2: It, it's a. I'd have to take it on a case by case basis, but I think it is an interesting well, my, dilemma. My point is that. All things being equal, yes,
1: I want my my players playing and obviously I want them playing well and I want them playing consistently. But I've said for years that that form is fallacy. And so it, it I'm I'm not if if Grant is worried, I'm I'm not worried like he is because I have seen time and time again where you get in that rarefied air of the World Cup and strange things happen. Am I counting on that happening? Yeah, I am because I've seen it happen almost every single World Cup. But who it happens to? uh, Who it happens to? I don't know. But, you know, from Frankie Haddock to to, to Landon Donovan or Demarcus Beasley or others that they rise to the occasion and this team rises to the occasion. And so I'm not, I'm not as worried as maybe you and Grant are about what is going on right now. It doesn't mean that I don't want them playing. And it doesn't mean that someone like Christian Pulisic or Zach Steffen or or anybody else that's not playing or Hopi or anybody else shouldn't look to find a place where they are playing and where they are comfortable. And there are going to be lots of players that are playing for the opportunity to get on that plane to go to Qatar. Now, Christian Pulisic is going to get on it no matter what's going on, but you got to put yourself in the best possible position uh, of, play, uh, of getting on that plane. And for many people, it's playing and playing consistently. And so if Christian Pulisic is not doing that, I want the best version of, Chris, uh, of Christian Pulisic at the World Cup because that's what benefits my team, which is the United
2: States. So we'll see. Uh, next up, at Fox Soccer asks, What? Uh, which goalkeeper would you start for Brazil in the FIFA World Cup, Ederson or Allison?" Uh, there's a funny story as to how this question ended up in the podcast. As well. How did it? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when we're done with. Oh, when you're done. Mixing.
1: Okay, good tease. Good tease. Um, uh,
2: so, uh, I guess I can answer it. Um, well, well, why? Because you're Brazilian. Okay, go ahead. You answer. Well, no, you can you can answer it. I mean, you, you uh, feel
1: really good about it. But I'd start, I would okay, start. Okay, I'm talking. an Allison guy. I'm an Allison too.
2: Um, Ederson is a bit too kooky for me. He's got that neck tattoo. Neck it tattoo. freaks me out. That's exactly what it is. God, you're just.
1: Ooh, I can't believe it.
2: Um, It is worth noting, though, that um, last summer we covered the Copa America. And around that time, the worm seemed to be turning Ederson's way. He started all three knockout games in that tournament. Uh, But since then, I think it's tilted back Allison's way. If the World Cup was tomorrow, I think Allison would be the starter. If nothing crazy happens in the next seven months, he was a starter in the last World Cup. I think he'll be the starter in this World Cup. And I agree with that decision. Keep in mind, by the way, Brazil also have a very good third string goalkeeper. A guy named Weverton who starts for Palmeiras, who have won the last two Libertadores. He's phenomenal, and they've rotated all three over the last couple of years, and if something were to happen with Allison and Ederson, where Weverton had to be the start in the World Cup, I'd be totally comfortable with that. So the goalkeeper depth for Brazil now is pretty crazy. That, that's what I want to talk to you about,
1: because the, it's not irony, it's just a, an interesting thing in terms of you, if you look at the history, that was always the Achilles heel. That Not that they they're bad goalkeepers, but in a... In a team that prided itself on maintaining possession and keeping the ball and Jogo bonito, and these incredible individual talents and greatest players in the world, the goalkeeper was always an afterthought. And yet, not only has that changed, but these are arguably the greatest goalkeepers in the world and they are Brazilian. Was this by design, Mossy, or is this just the soccer gods generationally saying, this is the moment?
2: I think more work has probably gone into developing players at that position. Brazil realized they needed to improve there. But yeah, I mean, the, it really started to turn with Tafarel. He was the first guy to really achieve uh, success in Europe. And in fact, Liverpool recently hired him as their goalkeeping coach. So he's that highly regarded. Um, and then we've seen over the last 20 years, Dida won the Champions League with AC Milan in 2003. Julius Cesar won it with Inter Milan in 2010. Allison won it with Liverpool in 2019. And obviously, Ederson's emerged now. So... Yeah, it's it's uh you're right. It's an interesting development because that was not a position of I'm not strength. I'm
1: sure I like Brazil with good goals. Go,
2: go 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 watch highlights of Val Gif Perez in the eighty-two World Cup or even Felix in the 70 World Cup, and you'll know that that, that was not a position of strength in those years. <laughs> and uh now it suddenly is. Uh, you know, it's funny on the topic of Brazil having three good goalkeepers, I was talking to uh, our boss, Zach Kenworthy, who actually made an appearance he in the did. studio
1: today. He just wanted to walk around and, you know, strut his stuff. And I, I was talking play. to him
2: about this this weekend. What if you could make trades in international soccer? If you had a position where you had more guys than you knew what to do with, and then you could trade them to another country, and they could give you a player at a position of need, uh, that'd be kind of interesting, huh? I mean, the U.S. could perhaps trade for a number nine. You know, is, right? it, is there yeah. some position where the U.S., you feel like, has a surplus of more players than they would need at, at a World Cup, and so they can have a guy that's spendable, yeah. you know,
1: yeah. I mean, it would still be relative to what we could afford and who would come and all that. You know, we would probably get like this the Lewandowski's backup or something like that.
2: I can see Luis Aguilar's brain churning there. This is going to be some goofy tweet he's going to send out. <laughs> uh, well,
1: speaking of it, what, what was the deal? What the, brought this on here? This, uh, this question? <laughs>
2: Okay, I'll, I'll do it now. So well, when did, did you want to do it? you want to do it? I was going to do it at the end. because of the, all it, it, of
1: them or does it play into the next one? It does Okay, well then go ahead
2: So um, at Gill underscore in underscore ATX. oh my goodness. Asks, if you could give a red card to any food, what would it be? And I guess what inspired this question is this picture of this disgusting cheeseburger that evidently they sell at Ellen Road for Leeds United Home games. That is one of the most repugnant things I've ever seen in my life.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll eat it. Um, but w- when you look at it, it's got, it looks kind of like a, a turtle or an eggplant or, I mean, the last thing in the world when you see this is that, hey, yeah, that's a hamburger. And so yes, it is absolutely disgusting. And I, I wanna be fair here because it's not as if we have you know, that, that uh, England has a monopoly on crap food at sporting events, okay? We can certainly do that over here. I do think that we are better when it comes to providing it, albeit in, in a very expensive way. If I could get a give a red card to any food besides wings, because right, we've talked clear. about the ridiculousness of, of wings, uh, and I've made that very very clear. I will also say that when it comes to foods that I think deserve a red card, uh, it would be bacon. Now, the the bacon conversation is, is very clear to me. The fact that we as a culture in the United States and probably in the world have decided that bacon evidently makes everything better, I think, is, um, is ridiculous in and of itself. I mean, there was a point where I remember Burger King had a bacon. Um, milkshake or something like that. So I would, so I, I do not like bacon. Um, I, I recognize that it's on pretty much everything right now. And I know people are triggered in a good way by the smell and the way it brings you back and, and, and all, all of that. But I think it's, I think it's a ridiculous food and I, I don't enjoy it. And that it seems to be the catch all and the cure all for any type of food out there just add bacon to it and it's better i think is simplistic and i think that there's a lot more people again like my wings take i think there's a lot more people out there uh that believe that uh than let on because you will be drowned out and yelled at for having an anti-bacon take but i'm i'm big enough to do it here so yeah i would give that uh i would give a red card to to bacon i mean it's easy to say some sort of Brussels sprouts or something like, uh, something like that. But I wanted to find something that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be given a red card. So, for example, if I get uh, a breakfast, there's not, not a chance in hell that I'm getting bacon with it if there if there is um, options out there. It's always a sausage and probably sausage patty as opposed to link. But never, ever bacon. And it's, it's, it doesn't even, it looks disgusting. Um, and so, yeah, red card to, uh, to bacon. So bring it. I know. I know it's coming. So just bring it on. Do you, do you like bacon? I love bacon. Oh,
2: Jesus. Um, can I say in defense of the English? Uh, I, took, I, I suppose. I took a trip to England a few years ago with Keith Costigan and attended a bunch of uh, He's matches. He's not English. Let me get to the point. Um, <laughs> They, they serve these pies at Premier League grounds and right. they're absolutely delicious. I, I remember the ones at Goodison Park. We went for, to an Everton game. It was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. So you can get good food. Hold on But second. you got
1: it. It was good because you were at a game and that's what made it good. If I took that same pie and we were down in the parking lot and you were getting ready to leave and I gave you that pie, you're not going to have the same type of sensation. You're not going to have the same type of reaction to it. So it really wasn't a good pie. What was good was the environment and the moment, and you were at a game. You were with your friend Keith, and that's why that pie tasted good. Which which doesn't negate what you're feeling or anything like that. I just want you want you to make sh- make sure that you understand that it's not necessarily the pie that was good. It was the environment and moment that you were in.
2: Um, so can I tell you about uh, the argument I had with Luis Aguilar yesterday? Yes. Yes. So. In the four years we've been doing this podcast, there's long been this debate about what should the Ask Alexi segment be? Right. We went through a period when Alex Dowd was our producer. Can I mention Alex? He left Fox on Good Terms, right? Right. Um, <laughs> In which he would use it. Um, He would use it. He would take elements that would have otherwise been in the first two segments. And if uh-huh. we got a question about him, he would stick it in the Ask Alexi segment. That's why our podcasts were shorter back then because you know he this week he might have taken a question about the Champions League or CONCACAF Champions League. And stuck it down there. And that's one less thing for us to cover in the main segments. Then we had this bizarre era where you decided to pick the questions and it became the most self-indulgent segment. <laughs> the questions were like, Alexi, why does everybody hate you? And <laughs> stuff like that. Thankfully, we that ran its course. And now Luis picks the questions. And uh, Luis sent me the rundown yesterday to have a look at. And there was the Stefan question. And then there were two kind of goofy off the beaten path ones. Uh, the food one, which stayed in, and then another one of that ilk, some sort of goofy video that surfaced about whatever. And I said to Luis, "I'm like, that's one real one and two goofy ones. That 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 balance seems balance, off. Right. Can we swap out one of those goofy ones for like something a little bit more topical and serious?" And Luis sh- shoots back, "He's like, but this video went viral, man. So like, Luis being the social media guy he is, is trying to take the segment down that path, while I want it to be still more of like a meaty soccer segment with maybe one." joke question thrown <laughs> in at the end. So, you know, that. keep an eye on that. There's always going to be one serious one Massey. and one ridiculous one at the end. But that second question has become a flashpoint in, in this battle for the soul of the State of the Union podcast between Luis and I. Uh, my goal, are we doing this four years? Is that right? Yeah. My
1: goal over the last four years is to move this in a direction where at one point we are doing the entire podcast without mentioning soccer once. Okay? So that's, that's the direction that we're, that we're moving here. Um, thank you, Louise, for uh, for everything that you uh, do. Despite my my friend you know, having a go at you, uh, go at you here. I thought these questions were were fine. What I am concerned about is that uh, evidently you guys have a production meeting beforehand, uh, so you you get sent this ahead of time. You go through everything. You say yes, no, or whatever. I'm okay with it because you know it's kind of a form of editing. Uh, Correct.
2: So. Luis sends me the rundown the night before to right. have a quick look at, make sure there's nothing egregiously wrong. Uh, what, what, what are you pointing at, Luis?
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he, he wants to make sure that we understand that any mistakes that are there what but I do is after you have reviewed it and missed them.
2: What, no, no, no. I peruse the rundown and I see, Oh, here's oh, a you couple of things. Them. Here's a, no, Oh, no, you I, perused I look them. it over. Okay. I see, here's a couple of things I can make fun of him about tomorrow. Ah, I don't,
1: I don't look at you content, content, my friend, you're a smart man. You're a smart man. Uh, all right, listen, anything else here uh, from ask Alexi, Massey? Uh, no, that's it. All 2297 right, 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297, or any of the uh, social media platforms out there, use that hashtag ask Alexi and send us your comments questions and concerns and we will pick a few <laughs> uh, or Mossy will or Louise will or somebody will and eventually I will, uh, I will be brought in <laughs> to the loop here on what's going on. Alright, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show. Alright, we're back. It's the end of our show and uh, at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Um, this is a much more of an informative uh, one for the road. Did you know, Mossy, that in 2022, the U.S. men's national team is scheduled to face Iran in two World Cups?
2: I did not know that. I, I know of one meeting, of course. What's of the other?
1: course you do. But the other World Cup is about to start here in the, uh, in the next week. And the other World Cup is the IFCPF World Cup. And it will feature our Paralympic team. The World Cup is happening in Spain. Our men's U.S. national team uh, plays from April 27th through May 16th. That is a 15 15- Team field because they're still figuring out some stuff with Ukraine, but right now it's 15 teams, and right now the U.S. is in that group with only three teams: U.S., Iran, and Australia. And so uh, I am informing you that this is happening. Also, our women's para national team will be in their World Cup, uh, and that happens May 7th through May 18th. There are five teams in that. That would be the United States, Spain. Netherlands, Japan, and Australia. I wish both of these teams luck in their upcoming World Cups. I have had the incredible privilege and pleasure of hanging out with our our men's para team. And these are some incredible individuals. They deserve much more attention and much more uh, praise. We do what we can over here. But they are going into a World Cup. And so... They should, uh, as I said, get the attention that it deserves because it's a wonderful opportunity and it's going to be, I think, a wonderful time uh, for them. So good thoughts on and off the field for this incredible adventure that uh, you are heading into and hopefully our men do well and then also our women when it comes to our para team. And they are a national team and they are... Doing the exact same thing as far as I'm concerned as our U.S. men's national team that will represent us in Qatar in the World Cup later on this year, or a U.S. women's national team that will represent us if they qualify next year in Australia and uh, New Zealand in the World Cup. And I believe that they should be treated as such in a time and in an age where we talk so much about equity and equality and we talk about the jobs that people do, well, the job of our national team players is to represent what I feel is the greatest country in the world. And whether they are part of our Paralympic team, whether our beach team, whether our futsal team, whether our upcoming deaf team, uh, or as I said, our national team, our women's national team, our men's national team, they are putting on that jersey and they are going out there and they are representing our country, and they should be treated as such. And if you don't look at them as equals in terms of that representation of the country, then I submit to you that uh, you're being hypocritical. And I would never want to, to, to be hypocritical in terms of the way that I look at these teams. So I wanted to make sure that That information was out there so people recognize that. They understand that the attention and the resources and the opportunities are incredibly limited, especially relative to our U.S. men's national team and our U.S. uh, women's national team, but they work each and every day. And I would also argue that they, they work a whole lot harder. And have, as I said, so many fewer resources at their disposal. And so in that sense, what they do is, uh, as I said, to be applauded and to be celebrated, whether they win or lose. But they are also competitors. I know that firsthand. And they go to these tournaments and they go there to win. And so I wish our men and women again, luck in the upcoming World Cup happening in Spain. Again, the men's April 27th through May 16th, and the women's May 7th through May 18th. Anything, my friend,
2: that you'd that like to it. add,
1: All right? Uh, we'll be back again uh, next week for another edition of the State of the Union podcast. Send us your comments, questions and concerns over there. Use that hotline again, 6575492297. Uh, we'll have more. Talk uh, of all the stuff that is happening on and off this soccer field. We do appreciate everybody reviewing and rating and downloading and subscribing and doing all the different things that uh, that you do out there to keep us in uh, in business. We'll talk again same time, same place next week here on the State of the Union. Until then, and as always, size the day. <laughs>